Influential podcast dedicated to the profession of pharmacy with over 80,000 listeners worldwide. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. According to the Department of Health and Human Services, 55% of the elderly are not compliant with their prescription drug orders, meaning they don't take their medicine according to the doctor's instructions, and approximately 200,000 plus older adults are hospitalized annually due to the adverse drug reactions. Senior care services are more important than ever before. Today, the Pharmacy Podcast Network would like to welcome Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition, known as the SCPC, President and CEO Alan Rosenblum. Alan shares his insights about how our healthcare system needs CMS and PBM payment reform to properly reimburse long-term care pharmacies, pharmacy consultants, and community pharmacies which provide special senior care services. Operating in every state, it's important to have organizations that focus on our seniors, senior care, the long-term care pharmacy space. This is special to me. I started out in pharmacy in 2004 in long-term care technology, working with the ASCP and many privately owned long-term care pharmacies to amplify the data that was necessary for consultant pharmacists to get involved in making better decisions for those specific patients. Long-term care pharmacies serve one of our nation's most vulnerable populations, as we know. We have to have advocacy driving policy changes state by state and nationally. And there is an expert that I've known that I've been proud to have on the Pharmacy Podcast Network way back on November 6th of 2015. Um, And I'm so excited to have him back and really giving us a state of the nation and up to date of how um, things have changed and and where we're going and what's most important. And so with that, welcome back, Alan Rosenblum, President and CEO of Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition. Welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast. Thanks, Todd. It's a real pleasure to to be back with you. I can't believe it's, uh, you know, it's been that long, six years ago, but uh, time flies. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. And, and it does fly. I, I've, I've been able to Google people's names and put in pharmacy podcasts beside their name and find so many amazing people that I haven't talked to in years. And, and that's kind of a way that I, I, I put a little reminder on my calendar and I'm like, I got to get Alan back on. And the reason why this happened is there was a article in in medica life and it was titled when we incentivize treatment over outcomes people suffer and it really touched me number one it's you so it, it meant something to me since you've been on the show before but number two this is kind of my beginnings it was you know in in knowing that i felt like i was an extension of the long-term care pharmacy team from a technological perspective empowering those consultant pharmacists and long-term care pharmacy owners and when I read through this article and in your interview with Gil Bash, I really 
it really touched me. So I had to have you come on to give us an update of your mission and the association's mission. And that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to turn it over to you to give our listeners an update on the coalition, on the Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition. My pleasure. The Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition, or as we call it, SCPC. Um, after all, I'm from Washington and Washington is full of acronyms. Uh, SCPC has about uh, 350 individual pharmacies, long-term care pharmacies, all around the country, serving people in, in 50 states. And um, long-term care pharmacies, as, as you certainly know, and probably many of your listeners do, are the pharmacies that are specialized and serve patients who need long-term care, primarily in long-term care facilities like nursing homes, assisted living facilities, and increasingly um, also in the community, people who are living at home with long-term care needs. And, um, uh, you know, they, they, as I said, we're in every state and our members served pre-pandemic because it's hard to know exactly where occupancy is, uh, you know, even now uh, as a result of the pandemic. They were serving about a million people a day. So it's a fairly substantial um, uh, organization in terms of our members. And our mission is pretty simple. People need long-term care in many settings, not just in nursing homes, not just in retirement communities or assisted living communities. Uh, and they benefit from the services that long-term care pharmacies and the, you mentioned consultant pharmacists, the consultant pharmacists whom they employ, uh, you know, those folks benefit from those services in various ways. Gil alluded, you know, one possibility, you know, a couple of different ways we can talk about that. But the point is that in, if you live in a nursing home, you get unfettered access to those services. If you live in other kinds of congregate residential settings like assisted living or, say, a continuing care retirement community, you may or may not get access to those services. And if you're living at home, you probably don't have access to those services, even though three quarters of the Medicare beneficiaries who need long term care live at home. They don't live in facilities. So that's our mission. And, you know, we are dedicated to changing public policy to the extent we can that moves all of, all of the federal policy apparatus in the direction of better access and then, of course, adequate compensation for the services that are provided. So there was two subjects specifically that I was excited to talk with you about today. And one of them is brand new in an announcement with the uh, House Committee on Oversight and Reform ranking members, um, Mr. James uh, Comer, of Kentucky and minority committee members, lawmakers, where you were part of the announcement in anticipation of the forum for the Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition. You offered a statement about some changes that were taking place about PBM accountability. The reason why I want to start here, and then my second is talking about home care and how pharmacies can integrate better into home care but get the benefits of what long-term care pharmacies getting through CMS payment mechanisms. And by the way, I'm talking about a very specific pharmacy owner right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Sean Naren. He was ranked as one of the 50 most influential pharmacists that we've recognized through an awards program that just went out two days ago. But he runs a closed-door community pharmacy, and his, farm, his patients need those services. They need the technicians to go into their home, deliver their meds, repack uh, sometimes the little desktop uh, dispensers that, that's there, check up on them, um, you know, answer any questions. 
So these kinds of services are going to need to be changed and transformed from what they are today in combining the world of long-term care pharmacy and community pharmacy. But let's start with this announcement with regards to the PBM uh, accountability and PBM reform, because I'm excited that you're a big part of this. Well, thank, uh, thank you, Todd. And, and uh, you are correct that the um, uh, minority members of the oversight committee in the house, that is the Republican members led by uh, Mr. Comer from Kentucky, held, held a forum this, this week on uh, what I would call PBM abusive practices and what government could do about it to try to rein in those practices. And these behaviors that I'm about to talk about are um, common across most pharmacies, but there are unique aspects of it with respect to long-term care pharmacy. So um, as, as you know, pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs are intermediaries that uh, negotiate on behalf of drug plans in the case of the Part D program, so-called prescription drug plans or PDPs. And they will negotiate with large pharmacy chains and there are two large pharmacy chains in the long-term care pharmacy world. Then they will also negotiate with so-called PSAOs, which are negotiating entities that allow under certain terms and conditions, groups of pharmacies to come together for negotiating purposes without violating the antitrust laws, okay? But because of the restrictions on those kinds of groups, um, there's really disproportionate market power for the PBMs. Uh, and it's especially true in a long-term care facility because in a facility, uh, you know, patients can choose whatever Part D plan they want. And so there may be six, eight, 10 different insurers providing drug benefits to people in nursing homes and probably two or three PBMs that negotiate all of the contracts for those plans. And if a pharmacy can't serve a patient in every one of those plans, it loses its contract with the facility because the facility wants to assure continuity of the way medications are packaged, the way they're delivered so it's easier for the nursing staff to administer efficiently and error-free. Uh, and so there's, you know, there are a variety of reasons that PBMs really have long-term care pharmacies over a barrel. And the way that barrel plays out is a lack of transparency, which you already, you already mentioned. So you really don't know what's going on. Um, charging pay to play fees. That is, if you don't allow us basically to take these fees away from you, which are ever increasing, by the way then you don't get our contracts or you don't get to be in a preferred network, which matters because what Part D plans can do and what PBMs negotiate is situations where there are preferred pharmacies. And in the preferred pharmacies, an individual who doesn't, who has to pay a copay uh, doesn't have to pay the copay if they go to a preferred pharmacy. Uh, and so this is a real disincentive for, um, for patients who have to pay out of pocket to choose a pharmacy that um, isn't a preferred pharmacy. Now let's talk for a minute about what pharmacies get to be preferred. In the retail space, the preferred pharmacies are often pharmacies that are owned by the same company that owns the PBM. So for example, CVS Health owns the largest PBM in America, Caremark. They also own the largest retail pharmacy chain, CVS. They also own the largest specialty pharmacy in the country. They also own the largest long-term care pharmacy in the country. 
They also offer their own, not only PDP plans, but health insurance plans through Aetna, which they acquired a few years ago. And so the PBM sits at the center of this kind of you know, concentric circles around how drugs are distributed, sold, and paid for in this country and can give their related companies you know, disproportionate, disproportionately better positions, making it harder and harder for independents to remain competitive. And in many cases, this is more a re on the retail pharmacy side than on the long-term care pharmacy side, at least for the moment. They can, they can position it such that the retail pharmacies that are independent increasingly are forced either out of business or forced to sell at you know, sub-market prices to CVS. Now, CVS is not the only chain that behaves in this way. Um, I forgot to mention that CVS is also the second largest, I believe, the second largest mail order pharmacy in the country. Okay. Similarly, United Health has similar kinds of arrangements, not necessarily all of the parts I just mentioned. So too does Cigna Express Scripts. And so these are the three major, and, and those three companies operate the three major PBMs, which in the long-term care pharmacy space probably are responsible for maybe 90% of all contracts that are negotiated as compared to maybe 1,500 independent long-term care pharmacies that are trying to negotiate. And then the final kicker, and then I'll stop, we, we continue a little bit of a dialogue, is that some companies will not negotiate with PSAOs. The PBM simply says, we want to negotiate one-on-one -on -one with your pharmacy. And of course, that's disproportionate market power that is frankly unfair. I mean, one of the things I'm excited about is that, that the Biden administration looks like it may actually start enforcing the antitrust laws again, which basically since the Reagan administration, the federal government, doesn't matter whether it's Democrats or Republicans, have been stepping away from effective antitrust enforcement in many arenas, particularly in healthcare. So I'm glad that you've touched on so many different facets of the major big three B three big PBMs and kind of the stranglehold on the dollars that are flowing, especially through the Medicaid systems. And we're seeing um, a domino effect since Arkansas um, came to uh, their Supreme Court system against PCMA. And because of this, um, this groundswell, I believe we're finally going to right the ship and I think we're going to see major changes in 2022 and your specific expertise in senior care and in senior care payment and services, helping Congress, helping our lawmakers to understand the intricacies and the details, because that's why the PBMs have gone for so long as they have in the swell from what they were doing 10 and 20 years ago in, in having more profit going to their entity without having anything to show for that profit in the terms of care. When we start talking about the complexities of senior care specifically, especially for those seniors that are dealing with major chronic issues that are cascade prescribing up to 18 and 22 different kinds of meds because they don't have a consultant pharmacist or they aren't able to afford a consultant pharmacist to drill, to drill down into that drug therapy and possibly be doing some deep prescribing and, and assuring that the treatments that are being uh, paid for are doing what they're intended by the primary care physician. That team 
that team member, that pharmacist is getting lost because they're getting squeezed out of the treatment modalities because of lack of payment. There's no money to, to pay this because what do you know? It's majority of it's going off in the form of, of profit. So I don't want to vilify the, the three, B, three big PBMs because that's not good healthcare. We need to all come together and just make some adjustments to this. And your organization is leading in helping us to not only understand and define, but rewrite what you believe is, is the right way to deliver care through Medicaid systems, for example, and other payment uh, systems for our seniors. What else do you see that could be um, changed or altered based on your members' feedback um, to the association? Well, um, this actually is kind of a good segue, I think, from the specifics about PBM business practices to your second topic, which is, you know, the expanding universe of, of oh. long-term care and related services at home. And um, there are a variety of things that the federal government could do that would help expand access for people who need long-term care living at home. Um, first, although it may seem strange, you and I know what a long-term care pharmacy is. The Medicare Part D program knows what a long-term care pharmacy is. The portion of the Medicare and Medicaid programs that regulate nursing homes know what a long-term care pharmacy is. But nowhere in federal law is there a definition of long-term care pharmacy. And as a result, a couple of things happen. Regulatory agencies impose conflicting requirements on pharmacies, long-term care pharmacies, that often put patients at risk. You know, a couple of years ago, there was a difference of opinion on regulation between the FDA, which, you know, the FDA and then CMS, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is responsible for Medicare and Medicaid. Big surprise, given the name. And, um, and the, the upshot of it was that either a long-term care pharmacy satisfied the Medicare and Medicaid requirements, and frankly, the best safety and uh, care of patients by making sure that emergency medications were available on site at a facility. In, or they would have to comply with an FDA rule that said a prescription can't leave the physical premises of a pharmacy without a patient-specific prescription. Now, when you apply that to a long-term care facility, it's kind of a ridiculous requirement because you can't predict in advance who's going to have an emergency. So you can't have medications ready to take care of these people if they have emergencies. That's kind of, you know, it's kind of crazy, right? But um, that's what, so we need a definition. Fortunately, uh, we, the Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition, have been successful in persuading members of Congress in both chambers on a bipartisan basis to introduce and we hope soon advance legislation that would define long-term care pharmacy in federal law. That would be very important, not only to resolve these kinds of disputes between agencies, but also to form a predicate for helping to persuade, if not compel, payers like Part D plans and PBMs to recognize that there are people who, you know, who are paid for by Part D, Medicare Part D if they're over 65, or by Medicaid if they're younger than 65, who need long-term care, who are living in community settings, which can include assisted living, or are living at home, need the services that long-term care pharmacies can provide, but can't get access to them because the PBMs form a roadblock to paying adequately for the services, the pharmacy services that you've described. So the second, the second kind of thing that, that, that uh, beyond the definition is that CMS does have the ability to provide more detailed guidance to the Part D plans 
and to the PBMs, therefore, to make it clear that not only could PBMs pay higher uh, higher payments to pharmacies that provide these services outside of nursing facilities, but that they really ought to. And you know, you can provide more detail on who needs long-term care, what the definition of a need for long-term care is, and make that information available both to the pharmacies and to the plans for people who are living at home as a way of kind of advancing the ball, right? Um, and ultimately, CMS probably doesn't have the statutory authority to require higher payments. But the, but the thing that it can do, aside from you know, better guidance, more specific guidance, is to help us, help us in the long-term care pharmacy sector, figure out how to deal with what I would call perverse incentives. For example, a, a freestanding plan that only pays for drugs, say a Part D plan, has no incentive to pay the pharmacy more, even if it's going to reduce the cost of healthcare for those for, for the for the individual right. because they're not paying for the healthcare. Right? Somebody else is paying for the healthcare, Medicare Part A, Medicare Part B, maybe Medicare Part C, which is the managed care portion of Medicare. Maybe it's Medicaid. You know, if you think about a long-stay resident in a nursing facility who's over 65, their drugs are being paid for by Medicare Part D. Their care is being paid for by state Medicaid programs, overwhelmingly, right? The, the Part D plan has no incentive to save Medicaid money. And Medicaid has no incentive to save the Part D plan money. So these kinds of you know, barriers, perverse incentives, systemic barriers, are what we really need to overcome. And part of it is, how do we structure government payments? But part of it is also, especially as we see more kinds of innovative healthcare models, ACOs, primary care physician practices, and the like. How do we arm the long-term care pharmacy community with the information they need to speak the language of integrated payers so that you know, they may be able to, if you will, cobble together a variety of dollar sources that will more adequately pay them for those services that they provide that people in the community and people at home really would benefit from. Yes. Yes. Amen. We have to have you come back on a, a reoccurring basis to update us for this specific senior care um, issues. I do want to make a, a comment about medication adherence, for example. I work with a company called RxSafe, who's been a client of the Pharmacy Podcast Nation and Network for, for about four or five years now. And so I soak in data with them and we, we start creating some some pieces that uh, amplify some of their studies. And I got to uh, be part of a, a panel at the NCPA, the National Community mm -hmm. Pharmacists Association, with five pharmacy owners. None of them were classified as long-term care pharmacies, but they said that 60, 80% of their entire patient base, you know, of the majority of their patient base was senior care at home was seniors at home that needed care and needed that adherence packaging that um, helps them to stay adherent. So they can rip off uh, their 8, 8 a.m. pass and their 12 p.m. pass and their 4 p.m. pass mm -hmm. and not have to guess as to which which medication to take. It's ready to go. It's 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 dated. It tells you what's in there. Maybe there's a vitamin supplement put in there for them to, because of a, a depletion of something that the medication is doing. But regardless... We talked to them about reimbursement at that panel. And of course, 
they all kind of sat back in their chair while everybody was taking their turn telling the rest of the entire 125 people at the event that, hey, you know, they're not being re reimbursed for these special services to ensure adherence in order to um, come over and, and, and try to combat an issue. According to the Department of Health and Human Services, 55% of the elderly are non-compliant with their prescription drug orders, meaning that they're not taking those medications according mm -hmm. to doctor's instructions. And approximately 200,000 adults are hospitalized annually because of um, missing medications and, and drug non-adherence. So I have to take data like that back to our lawmakers and say, hey, listen, this is a community pharmacy that isn't classified under CMS as a long-term care pharmacy, but guess what? They are saving lives and they're helping to cut costs by not having our, our fragile seniors go back into the hospital because of non-adherence. You know, Todd, I'd like to elaborate on this point a little bit because I think it's a really good one. Um, there, are, there are kind of three things I think that matter more than anything else in terms of better management of seniors who live at home. And, you know, uh, and who have long-term care needs. And just to be, just again, to, to think about this for starters in the context of Medicare beneficiaries, there are about 4 million Medicare beneficiaries who need long-term care. And when I say need long-term care, what I mean is they need assistance in at least two of the so-called activities of daily living, the ability to, you know, get out of bed in the morning and, and, and uh, you know, go to the bathroom by yourself, the ability to feed yourself, the ability to transfer from, you know, from a bed to a chair, those kinds of activities. And that's a standard kind of definition of the need for long-term care. So of 4 million Medicare beneficiaries who are in this situation, 3 million of them live at home. A million of them live in facilities like nursing homes or assisted living or retirement communities. And their needs, their healthcare needs, they have a lot of chronic care needs in addition to the impairments and activities of daily living. And they look a lot like people who are in facilities in terms of the level of need that they have for healthcare, chronic healthcare needs. Um, where there is a little bit of a difference is that if you have a dementia diagnosis or you have a behavioral health diagnosis, you're more likely to be in a facility than you are to be at home. Otherwise, you know, you know, physical conditions, very similar. Um, but interestingly enough, the people that are in facilities take fewer medications a day than the people who are in the community. In facilities, they take 12 meds a day on average. In the community, 14 meds a day on average. And we believe, and we're actually doing some additional research to test this, but that's because of the medication management services that pharmacies provide. Because you would think they're a little bit sicker in the facility. They're a little bit more impaired in the facility. Wouldn't they be taking more meds, not less? Yep. Right. And so when I think about what pharmacists, what a long-term care pharmacy can do, and I mean, some retail pharmacies or community pharmacies may do this as well. The specialized packaging that you've talked about is essential. The ability to know what you're supposed to take at what time of day and in what dose, the simpler you can make that the higher the adherence, and the adherence is very important to avoid a whole bunch of different complications. The second thing is um, not only the packaging, but some system where you are reminding people, either the patient themselves or the family members that are helping them out, to take their meds. You know, and there are all sorts of ways you can do that. 
phone calls, site visits, you know, app-based kinds of things, all of the above. And I, I know Sean, whom you mentioned a little earlier, Sean Nairn, yep. uh, we're fortunate that he is one of our, the SEPC members. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that, that I know his, his company does. And then the third thing that's really important is coordinating among doctors, because people who are living at home very often get prescriptions from many doctors, and they may or may not ac accurately you know, report what other drugs they're taking and what doses they're taking, which would influence prescriber behavior. So that connection is really important as well. And if a pharmacy can do those three things, they can, I think, really impact cost of care. And so if we can overcome those kind of, you know, those kind of you know, disconnects, the uh, perverse incentives that I alluded to earlier, you, know, you may pay the pharmacy a little bit more and the pharmacy would deserve it and the pharmacist would deserve it. But you will generate far more in savings by reducing healthcare costs and make the quality of those people's lives so much better. Yes. That's what our organization is dedicated to doing. Amen. And that's why I like having you here. Got to have you back, Alan. Um, Thank it's you. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor to have you here. You cannot wait uh, six years to come back. We got to have you back more often. Um, but Thank you so much for this update and what you provide to our healthcare system, specifically our seniors. Um, I have a special place in my heart because that's how I entered pharmacy. And that's what's always going to be my anchor in pharmacy is that, that senior care facet of pharmacy. So uh, a heartfelt thank you to you. So in wrapping up this special episode with Alan, Alan, this has been tremendous. Please, uh, you'll find in the show notes, listeners, you'll find a link to the senior care um, Pharmacy Coalition, the SCPC, which you can go to Senior Care Pharmacies, plural, SeniorCarePharmacies.org. Uh, that will be in the show notes. Alan, we're going to continue to support you. We got to meet up at um, a national conference, most definitely in 2022. Uh, but I think there's going to be more that we're going to be able to do together from an advocacy and a news perspective. And I want you to use this platform to get your messaging out because I think it's extremely important. So thank you. Thank you, Todd. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And I'm enjoy I've enjoyed coming back to the show. I hope that it's uh, fewer than six years when we do it again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And <clears throat> pharmacists, especially our long-term care pharmacists, this podcast is dedicated to you. We know what you go through every day. We know the struggles. And also a shout out to technicians that are the right hands of our long-term care pharmacists that are out there. I applaud you and I thank you. And we thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast.